Well, we've had a great time in our Family Matters series over this summer. I believe we've learned a lot. I know there's a lot of things that have happened in, in, uh, in families and homes, and that's encouraging in marriages and parenting. Uh, we're so excited. For the first time, we've talked today, Philip Cameron and myself, I'm not sure how we missed connecting as long as we have uh, with mutual friends and, and uh, aware of each other's ministries. But I'm so excited on our last day of our Family Matters series, uh, one, of the, one of the things God has greatly used Philip Cameron with is household salvation. What an encouraging word for us today. Uh, the greatest answer to any prayer for our family is that we serve the Lord, is that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So Philip Cameron is here with us today with his wife Chrissy and, and, and is some of his family and, and as well as some, some uh, young ladies that are fruit of this incredible ministry. So not only household salvation, but as an evangelist, Philip and his family came to the U.S. from Scotland. So second generation ministry here. Uh, but one of the great things, I think, uh, international ministry in Scotland, Romania, Moldova. But right now, a very special ministry in Moldova, Stella's House. It's a, it's a home where young ladies who are having to leave orphanages at 16. Can you imagine having been an orphan and then at 16 you cannot stay anymore? And what happens to them? Well, they're, they're there on the street. And the choices aren't good. It's crime. It's human trafficking. It's drugs. And so uh, Stella's house, I think it is your third one now, into the third house, uh, providing shelter, safety, Christ, hope for these young ladies. And some of them are here today uh, to share with us. It's going to be a great encounter. I'm believing for a household salvation. How many say, I want to see my family? serve the Lord. So we welcome you, Philip. Would you come and join us today? Let's give them a big Alabama Decatur welcome. Great to have you here today. Well, hello. I don't speak like him. I speak properly. I don't know what that accent is, but it, it's selling us Scottish. I am Scottish for those that uh, don't know. And we are just so excited. I have known George Sawyer for decades. And um, heard about him and, and almost crossed paths and had friends that kept saying to me, have you never met George Sawyer? And I'm sure it's been the same way in reverse. And um, finally, we got together. I was telling him of a dear friend, uh, Dan Betzer, from First Assembly in Fort Myers, a great friend of mine. And uh, same thing, decades. He, I, I would go to a place and he'd just been there or back, you know. And we finally met in Branson, Missouri. And he says, what's taken us so long? I says, I don't know, but we should have done this 40 years ago. It is a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I have my wife. Stand up, Chrissy, will you please? She's just come back from Scotland, being with our mom. Um, uh, pray for her mom. She has dementia and it is a dread disease, horrible thing. And so pray for her. I've got some of my grandkids, ones in children's church. Uh, Allie, stand up, will you, and wave. That's my oldest granddaughter right there. Come up here, Roby, just for one second. Come here and say, this is my, this is my name, well, it's not my namesake, but he's my soulmate right here. He was born on the 27th of April, same day as me. We're 60 years apart. Look up. What's your name? 
Rowan. Rowan, do you love Jesus? You gonna sing for me? Mm-hmm. Go and sing something. Are you gonna sing? And what's funny is he sings nonstop all the time. Drives me crazy, and I that's as furthest I've got him to sing in church so far. We're going to have to help him with a sweet by and by, and he'll get all the way through it, I think. How many in here have got unsaved loved ones? Let me see your hands. Someone in your family needs saving. Well, family matters. And I've got a word for you today that I believe is right in time and season with this church. This church is one soul away from doubling. If everybody in this church were to say, Lord Jesus, give me a soul between now and Christmas, you would not have enough space in this church for the people that would be here. Your baptismal tank would be running every Sunday. You'd have to arrange new park arrangements, new more ushers in the building. You will have a harvest when you prepare for it. You will have a season of harvest when you think that that's the most important thing in the world. If Jesus were to come here right now and stand there, listen to me. If Jesus were to stand there and tell you, I'm coming back for the church at 12 o'clock tonight. What would you do the rest of this day? Would you go home and watch the ball game? Would you clean your yard? Would you make sure your house was nice and tidy? Would you watch your favorite TV show? I know exactly what you'd be doing if Jesus was coming back at midnight tonight. You'd be going to see your sons and your daughters and your grandkids. You'd be calling your brothers and your sisters. You'd be calling your aunties and uncles. And you'd be saying to them, for crying out loud, this is serious. You've got to get right with the Lord. This is the time for your salvation because He's coming. Well, if that's what you'd be doing if he was coming at midnight, and that would prioritize prioritize your life, why isn't that how we live every day? When I was a boy back in Scotland, my mom, in the springtime, would take us out around the farms, and we would watch lambs being born. It was an, it's an amazing thing. This little thing is born, and within a few minutes, it's up on its shaky legs, and it's all legs. And then in 15 minutes, it's dancing around like it had been running all his life. And I've been there. I've watched dozens of lambs being born in my life. And I can tell you this. I've never, ever seen a shepherd give birth to a lamb. Who gives birth to lambs? Sheep give birth to lambs. The shepherd feeds, the shepherd guides, the shepherd protects. But it's your responsibility, your job, your, your, your place in the body of Christ. And the thing is, if we, don't, if we don't ask God to give us harvest, then he won't give us harvest. You ask for rain when? In the time of latter rain. You put yourself in the position. And if you were to say to God today, as I'm talking to you, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your heart. And if you were to speak to God and say, God, I, I need you to put folk in my path this week. I promise you, by Wednesday, you have led someone to Jesus. Do you know how? 
If someone comes up to you tomorrow morning, his work, your work, and says, I don't know Jesus, I want to know Jesus, will you lead me to the Lord? Do you know how? And if you don't, you need to learn this afternoon. Because if you don't prepare for the harvest, it never comes. Our family, where every, every man in our family for 200 years were alcoholics. Everyone. We were the drunks of the town. We were mocked and hated by our people. Our folk back in Scotland still can't forgive God for forgiving us. Two young preachers out of a Bible school in England came up to our little town, fishing village. Slept in the back of a butcher's van because they had nowhere to stay. Couldn't rent a building, so a man who was a, a barber, his name was Rob Brown, he opened up his house, took out his chest of drawers and wardrobe and, and put up a few chairs. And these two young men, Herbert Harrison and, and, and Donald Walker, Herbert Harrison preached and Donald Walker sang and led the praise and worship with an accordion. And they had 96 converts in six weeks. 67 of them were Camerons. My uncle had got saved seven years before, breaking an American boat in the north of Scotland that had been torpedoed by the Nazis. And he got saved, delivered from alcohol, and began to pray for his family. Seven years later, 96, out of, out of 96 people saved in this little mini revival, as you call it in America, 67. How, what would you do if 67 of your family started getting saved? What would this church do if 50 folk from your family filled up four or five rows from this church? What would you do if, this, if the son that's gone on drugs and lost forever suddenly comes home like the prodigal son and says, I want to serve? What would this church do? Well, you are one soul away from it. Just for a few minutes, let me give you an example of the power of what someone talking about this does. You know the story. It's sandwiched. Two stories are kind of sandwiched together. One is a big deal about a, a, a girl getting raised from the dead. But tucked in behind that, we know it kind of, but we, we, we just kind of, it's, it's just part of the, the mishmash of these two stories, and it's the lesser part. The Bible says that a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many phys physicians. She had spent all that she had was none the better, but rather grew worse. So here's this woman. She's in trouble. She is hemorrhaging. And in the culture of their world, she is in trouble in multiple facets. You can go outside if you're bleeding. You're unclean. So she is cut off from her family and friends. You can't go to church. You can't visit the temple. So she is cut off from God. The Bible says she suffered at the hands of many physicians and grew none the better but rather the worse. And she had spent all that she had. That's a very clear all. You don't get more than all. She was bankrupt. She was bleeding to death. She couldn't get a hold of God. Her family wouldn't come and see her. She was sick as a dog and she was dying and she was broke all at one time. And listen what happened. But she heard about Jesus. Somebody somewhere broke the code. Somebody somewhere loved her more than our situation. 
Someone looked beyond the stigma of what she suffered and said, I'm going to get there and I've heard about this man called Jesus and I've heard about what he's done and I'm going to, I'm going to tell her about Jesus. And the result of that is unbelievable. Let me tell you, you have no concept the power you have when you begin to talk about the name of Jesus. You have no idea when you start, when someone that's sitting next to you in your, in your works, space. They are cut off from life. They are, they are losing their life. They are bleeding to death. And someone has enough courage to look at them and say, we're praying for people in our church right now. And I want to pray for you because I know a man called Jesus and he's the answer to your need. You have no idea of the electrifying moment that can be in that person's life. And this man or this woman, it may have been a son or a daughter or somebody, overcame the obstacle of her disease and said, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care if I'll be unclean and I'll be considered unfit to go to the temple. But I want to tell her about him because he is who she needs. And something unbelievable happened. When she heard about Jesus, the measure that she heard was so astonishing that she made an, a ridiculous leap. She said, if I can, I'll stay low so no one will recognize me. I'll get down so no one will point me out that I'm unclean. If I'm below everybody else, I'll crawl in the back crawl on my belly and if I can just but touch the hem of his garment if I can just find all the hems, all the people all the fuss, I know if I can get a hold of him I will be made whole so the Bible says when she heard about Jesus she became behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I only can touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt it in her body. And she was healed. Let me tell you something. You know when you're healed. You know when salvation comes to you. This is not mental ascent. This is born again. The Bible says this. And, 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 and Jesus himself, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? It's like going into a football game. Who touched your clothes? Are you kidding me? We're surprised you can still breathe with all these folk pushing against you. Let me tell you something. A lot of folk bump up against Jesus. That if you touch him. You touch him, you'll know you've touched him. Because his life will go into you. Virtue means life. And that woman broke through all the other people that were bumping up against him, looking at the spectacle. She found him as a savior, as, as the healer of her body. Listen to what happened. And the Bible says, the disciples says, do you see the multitude are thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her. He knew who she was. He knew by the look on that woman's face, it's you, isn't it? And when he saw her who had done this thing, 
But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Isn't that a great story? And you've missed the biggest point of the whole thing. This is in Matthew 5. In Matthew 6, move to verse 53. And you'll find something. It says this, I think maybe down, later down in 55 or 56. Everywhere Jesus went from that moment on. Everywhere Jesus went from that moment on, they brought people, and what did they do? They begged to do something. They brought people to Jesus who begged him to touch the hem of his garment. What this woman had just done wasn't just get healed for herself. She found a new way of touching God. Her miracle was the first. But she was the forerunner of all the others that came behind her. Let me try and find that. It's in Mark 6. Hold on a second. Let me find it here. Mark 6. Is it, is it 19? No? If you, verse, uh, Mark 6, 56. Wherever he entered, wherever he entered the, into villages and cities or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they just might touch the hem of his garment. So it wasn't just the woman getting healed of the issue of blood that happened on that day. She set a whole new pattern. It had never been done before until she touched him. But when she touched him, other people got her faith and says, well, that woman was healed by touching his garments. I can get healed by touching his garments. And what we've got to do as a church is we've got to find brand new ways of bringing someone to meet Jesus. Four men picked a guy up that was paralyzed. Got to the house. The house is unable. You can't get in there. And you, well, most other people would say, well, we've, we've given it a great trial. Let's go home. What did they say? Let's get up on the roof. We're going to tear the roof off this place. But he is going to have an encounter with Jesus. And what we need in this church, we need people that are, are prepared to tear roofs off. And crawl on their belly to touch the hem of his garment. Do whatever it takes to bring someone to Jesus. And when you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. The lame will walk, the blind will see, and the lost will be found. How many believe this week that God is going to start turning your circumstance around and you're going to believe God for household salvation, that your unsaved loved ones are coming home in the name of Jesus? Put your hand up right now. I want to pray with you and agree with you for total household salvation. Father, in Jesus' name, every hand that's raised to heaven right now is a candidate for a hymn touching miracle for our roof taking off miracle and I claim right now that somehow our sons and our daughters from the north and the south and the east and the west are coming home to us in the name of Jesus we rebuke the devourer we come against every darkness and we say son you're coming home daughter you're coming home every one of our family are part of our inheritance as for me and my house we are going to serve the Lord
Praise him for that, will you please, right now? 30 years ago, I walked into an orphanage in Romania. I, I was dragged there kicking and screaming by my dad. He pulled me up, drove me from, called me up one day and says, there are babies dying. I said, what are you talking about? He says, there's babies dying. And it was in Romania, communist country, blighted by communism. And he went by him. He says, well, if you, he was dying of cancer. He said, well, if you won't come with me, I'll go by myself. And I, I said, oh, stop it. I'll, I'll go with you. And that was the beginning of an adventure that still goes on to this day. And uh, years later, we went to Moldova. Our ministry of the orphans' hands has homes where young women come out of, I mean, out of orphanages that normally would be trafficked. And we are seeing incredible things happen. The first girls and boys that we met are now the leaders of the ministry there. That's why it's called the Orphan's Hands. And they now evangelize and they now preach the gospel and they now do all the things that I used to do. Watch this video and I'll be back in a moment. Moldova is a nation in a desperate place, torn between the east and the west, stuck between yesterday and tomorrow. It has the highest alcoholism rate in the world and has been voted the unhappiest place on earth. Poverty and alcohol is a deadly mix. It breaks the home. It causes unimaginable suffering. It creates orphans. Children are abandoned as their parents go abroad to find work. Often, they never come back, and children become another statistic in a land of loss. From the orphanage or poverty-stricken village, it is a short step to the arms of the trafficker and a life of unspeakable hell. Standing on street corners anywhere in the world, being sold as much as 30 to 50 times a day, once a girl is broken, she won't fight back. Lost into a world of shame, pain, drugs and violence. Each girl can earn their captor $300,000 a year. Trafficking is more profitable than drugs. Yet, in the midst of all this sorrow, a miracle is taking place. Orphans are finding hope through the work of the orphan's hands. They are finding their broken hearts healed by God's love and hope is turning into action. These amazing kids, once redeemed, have an unstoppable desire to help those who have been left behind. They have become missionaries to those who are what they once were. We are growing. We desperately need more space. We have been praying and God has given an answer. Vatra Village. Six homes that will hold 90 kids. Vatra means hearth, a place of warmth and comfort, something most of these kids have never known. These beautiful homes are not yet complete, but by God's grace, they will be the hearth in the heart of many kids who today are alone. In these rooms, care and love, hope and healing 
will transform pain into purpose and loss into life. Standing a few hundred feet from Moldova's largest lake, Vatra was sold for over $1 million just a few years ago. Today, it has been offered to the orphan's hands for the miraculous price of $600,000. The owners know what we do. They want us to help the youth of their nation. Just think, for what two captured girls earn in the hell of trafficking, we can buy Vatra Village, a place of hope to save countless lives. Will you help us to save these broken lives from cold street corners and offer them a hearth, a home? Thank you. Come on, girls. Our name is Sylvia. We're in the largest orphanage in the nation, 800 kids. We put in the windows, 391 windows, and... The last day I was there, the, the director came and said, I will show you something, and took me outside, and there was 18 kids on a park bench. And he said, they all must go. And Chris and I were there, and uh, we, we had space for three. And I said, how, how, much, how many can we take, Chrissy? And she says, that's all we have. And that day I chose three. I chose Sylvia's older sister, Nadia. And I chose Dasha. So these are cousins. This is Sylvia Ulizana. This is, sorry, this is Valentina. I'm sorry, Valentina. <laughs> this is Ulizana and her sister, Jasgul. Now, Jasgul is only with us for, I think, this Sunday. She has been in Nashville, Tennessee for the last five years in university. And I just learned she hardly ever made it off the campus. Whoever supported her... She never, we, we went to Taco Bell the other day and she'd been to, first, first time, she'd never been to Taco Bell. She loved it, by the way. And uh, these kids are representatives of what takes place in our lives. They come to us having never heard the gospel. And then they turned out into these amazing young folk, young men as well, who are preaching the gospel, feeding the hungry, um, reaching out in a country of desperate need. And I am so grateful. So that's Sylvia, Dasha. Um, she is. Uh, she now works in America with us. And last year she graduated from? Auburn University of Montgomery. AUM. She is. So our family wore eagle. This is Valentina. Valentina's mom and dad, her birth parents died when she was a baby. Adopted by a couple who couldn't have kids. When her Adoptive mom was 42, had a baby, a little boy called Andre. And nine months later, the, the father, the second dad, died. And the mother worked herself to death, leaving Valentina with her wee brother of five with nowhere to go. And someone says that there's a family, there's a man in Kishnev, five hours away, who has a house. You can maybe see if he'll take you in. And she came into our family and... Um, Right now, as you're speaking, her brother, he, she had to give her brother away, but her brother is now in one of our homes. Just started right now. So his name is Andre. Do you have a picture of him? There he is right there. And this is Ulazana. As you can tell, Jasgul and Ulazana don't look like us. 
And um, they come from, their, their father was, came from a country called Kyrgyzstan. It's right on the border of Pakistan. And uh, tell them how you ended up in this crazy world that you now live in. Movie. Um, my family was the richest family from um, the village we were. And um, my mom went to Russia to study there. And um, there she met my father. And um, after um, they got married, my father began to abuse her uh, physically, so she ran away from him. And um, when she came back uh, to Moldova, um, she didn't have anything. And um, um, the only way for me to survive it was to put me in a hospital for children, for children which are sick with tuberculosis. Um, because there was uh, food and um, there was a bed for me. Um, I stayed in that hospital for 10 years. I was a normal child. I didn't have any disease, but I had no place where to stay. So um, for 10 years, I received the same treatment like all the children there. And... Um, I didn't know my real name. They called me there, Christina. And um, for 10 years, uh, I didn't have any visitors, like all the other children. So practically, I started my life um, fighting it. And uh, um, being like on arena and just being on the battlefield every day um, so I didn't have a childhood like most of the children being surrounded by their family and having a nice and wonderful and amazing childhood um, so I remember one day I was outside and just playing by myself like usually and uh, um, a strange woman came to me and she said, um, hi, I'm your mother, and you have more three sisters, and if you want to see them, you have to go to the orphanage. So, um, and I heard those things. I was so happy. I was like... I can't describe that moment, how I felt. It was like an, an avalanche of different feelings, like hope, joy, and happiness. And in that moment, like the first, it was the first moment when I really felt that I belonged to someone and that finally um, I'll have someone by my side. So, um, I went to the orphanage um, with this hope in me that finally I've, I have a family and uh, finally God remembered me somehow. And uh, um, the day when I met my sisters, they told me that um, our mom, she's mental sick. And... Uh, we would have to run away from her. Um, 
because she doesn't realize what she's doing. So, um, I was, um, in that moment, my whole world, it was like destroyed. My whole hopes just burned away. And um, I remember like, um, I was accusing God for this. I knew, I knew something about God. So I was very mad at him that um, he gave me my mom only for a day. And uh, I didn't ask too much from him except having a family. And um, um, I remember it was very difficult for me to watch uh, other children hugging their parents and because I knew I would never have this opportunity. So I want to tell you that you are so blessed. And um, uh, Um, and the orphanage just started to accuse God a lot, so, um, because I was so broken, but I've realized that sometimes your brokenness is the only way for the light to come in your heart, and, um, um, I just want to encourage that, you know, there are moments when the only thing you can give to God is your worst. But God is not like people. He doesn't throw away the broken pieces. He doesn't break the bruised reed. But He takes it. He plants it. And sometimes when you feel that you are buried, sometimes when you feel that everything around you is just darkness and you can't have a way how to escape of it, that's the moment when God actually plants you and He is watering you and he will give fruits from you. So never, never label your circumstances. Don't allow your limited mind, your little box from this. I'm sorry. Yes. To, to, to label your circumstances because God is bigger than what you think. God is bigger than what you feel. And God is bigger than all your circumstances. And if God could save such a, I don't know how to say it, such a broken person like me and such a miserable person how I was, he can save your family for sure. <laughs> so, thank you. So Jasgu is hearing our sister talking about this for the first time. We need your help. We need your help. To, to buy and build Vatra village will help us save up to 90 more kids. Could you imagine 90 more Ulazanas or 90 more Sylvias? 
Each of these houses are costing us 100000 It's costing about 40000 to finish one. Each house is going to cost $4,500 a month to support. You say, well, that's all huge numbers. Yes, it is. But if I were to take you into Vatra Village and I could say I could buy all of this place for $1,000, you would say, that's the best deal in the world right there. So let the Lord talk to your heart. He speaks better than I can as far as this. It's a great need, a pressing need. We are stressing every, we're a small ministry, stressing every sinew we have to keep those that are there supported. A pair of jeans, a cheap pair of jeans there is $60 just just for the pair of jeans. A gallon of gas is 4 or $5 a gallon. Food is almost twice as expensive. And uh, it depends on our traveling and talking to folks like you. And many folk join us by giving a dollar a day. A dollar a day doesn't change your world, but it sure changed Ulysses. She came and sat in my one of the houses and fought with me for hours one night and told me that she didn't need God and she would never call anyone dad and she didn't want this place. And, and uh, I said, eventually, I said, well, I've got nothing more I can help you with. And what I didn't know is she'd nowhere else to go. And she came into our house, an angry girl. And God has changed her. God has changed her. So everybody, everybody in this room, you could literally make a miracle happen in the lives of these young men and women who can in turn change a nation for the Lord Jesus.